Anybody know Greek? Well, once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church on this very first Sunday of the new year. January 2nd, 2022. And right out of the starting gate, I have a feeling, as Pastor Dave was saying and Phil was saying, that this year is going to be an exceptional year. I, I believe that with all my heart. Now, I said that exact same thing two years ago in 2020, and I was wrong. Uh, 2020 was a rough year. Uh, not only was it extremely challenging, but it was heartbreaking on many different levels. It was a year of death and darkness, and without question, it was a bomb. Then came 2021, and once again in January, I stood up here with visions of grandeur, grandeur and told you that it was going to be a good year. This time I was right, and even though 2021 had its ups and downs like every other year, and even though I can tell you that I had my share of disappointments, towards the last quarter of the year, we staged a comeback and we experienced an overwhelming sense of God's presence and power. During the final months of 2021, God graced us with renewed faith. And so we're entering into this year with a whole lot of encouragement. I have high hopes for 2022. I, I believe this is going to be a great year for the people of God. And right here, right now, as we get started, I'm going to get out there on a very thin limb and predict that 2022 for the believer is going to be a year of jubilee. I, I mean that with all of my heart. It's not just a bunch of hype. I believe that this year we are going to experience celebration and rejoicing. For the next 12 months or so, I look for God to restore unto us, unto his church, the joy of our salvation. I mean good joy, genuine joy, spiritual joy. I think it was Peter who described it as joy unspeakable and full of glory. And in John chapter 15 and verse 11, this is what Jesus said. He says, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be complete. Jesus taught us some things because he wanted us to experience complete joy. And that word complete in the Greek means overflowing and real, it means genuine. How many of you want to experience uh, some joy like that? I know I sure do. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to this year at believing that God is going to be with us each and every step of the way. All right. As we've announced over the past couple of weeks, today we'd like to begin a brand new series entitled Letters from Jesus. Can I get you to say that? Letters from Jesus. One more time. Letters from Jesus. Now, years and years ago, in the 1990s, there was a worldwide movement called WWJD. What would Jesus do? Believe it or not, that movement or trend started right here in Michigan, spread through the United States, and then into the world. And many businesses and corporations began to sell WWJD merchandise. Do you think it was successful? Well... One manufacturer said in 1997 he made $9 million on the back of WWJD. $9 million in profit on that merchandise. And just out of curiosity, how many of you 
probably need to be 45 or 50 and older, had a WWJD bracelet or some other WWJD merchandise. We all did. So it was about three months ago, back in October, when I first started praying about and thinking about this service here today. When I started to ask the Lord for guidance and direction as we move into the start of a new year. And that's when the Lord dropped WWJS in my heart. Not WWJD, what would Jesus do, but WWJS, what would Jesus say? And as I was engaging God in prayer and, and in meditation, I felt as though the Lord said, teach a series like that in January. And I responded and said, God, I'd love to. But how in the world am I supposed to know what Jesus would say? And without hesitation, the Spirit of the Lord prompted me and said, it's all in the book of Revelation. More specifically, the opening chapters of the book of Revelation. So, of course, I scurried to Revelation and began to read it. And the first couple of chapters are the basis of this series that we're going to be looking at in January and in February of this year. So, as we begin this morning with installment number one, let's take a look at a few verses found in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verses 9 through 17. You ready? I, John, who's talking here? Who's writing? I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. L listen to every word if you don't mind. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for the preaching, for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the spirit. Suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, this voice said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. Okay, that's good for now. Couple of questions just to check to see if you were paying attention. Number one, who's writing this passage? John, a disciple of Jesus, one of the 12 original disciples. Who's John writing about? Who's the someone like the Son of Man? Jesus. And when John saw Jesus, when he had this vision of Jesus, what happened to him? He fell at his feet as though dead. You're three for three. That's good. Got 
You've probably read these verses before. Oftentimes when we start to look at the book of Revelation, it's good to begin with chapter 1. And here John is telling us that what he wrote in the book of Revelation, he was told specifically to write down. Everything that he saw, everything that he heard, write in a book. This John, the disciple of Jesus, keep in mind, was someone who had walked with Jesus for three and a half years. He listened to Jesus preach countless sermons. He saw him perform multiple miracles. He had a relationship with Jesus. It was a close relationship. They were friends. In fact, John in his gospel describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So they were close. John also accompanied Jesus to the Mount of Transfiguration. He was with his brother James and Peter at the time, this inner circle of the 12 disciples. The three of them made their way up the mountain with Jesus, and they saw Jesus transfigured before their very eyes, probably very similar to what he saw here in the book of Revelation. And then keep in mind, this is the same John who was an eyewitness of the resurrection. Remember, he was just a few feet away from the crucifixion. He saw Jesus hang there and die the most horrific death. In fact, Jesus engaged him in conversation. Talked to him while he was dying. He said, John, I want you to behold your mother, and mother, behold your son. John watched Jesus breathe his last breath, hang his head and die. And a few days later, he's in a locked room. And Jesus walks right through the door like it's not even there. This is the John that is talking to us here in Revelation chapter 1. And in verse 17, Revelation 1.17, the scripture tells us that when John came into the presence of Jesus, when he had this revelation of Jesus, even though they were friends, even though they were close and had an intimate relationship, immediately he hit the deck fell on his face as though he were dead and did not move a muscle. That is reverence and respect at its highest level, friend. And that's the kind of glory and honor that our Lord and Savior deserves. And as we begin this series, the very first thing I want to say is that the church of Jesus Christ today needs this kind of revelation. We need a fresh revelation of who Jesus is. We need to see him in all of his glory. And yes, we are friends. He called us friends. And he loves us with an everlasting love. In fact, he loves us more than life itself. But his holy and divine presence commands our admiration. Jesus is God Almighty, and he's worthy of all of our praise. And this is how John saw him. The guy that he walked around with, the guy that he probably joked with. He fell at his feet in worship because Jesus is worthy of that kind of praise. In the opening five words of the book of Revelation, tell the whole story. The first five words, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1 says a revelation of Jesus Christ. A revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Again, in the Greek, revelation means to unveil, to disclose or display. It literally means to take the cover off and behold the contents. And so make no mistake, the last book of the Bible, the pinnacle of God's story, I'm talking about the culmination of all things. The great finale is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Not a revelation of the Antichrist. Or the beast. Or the great dragon. Or the four horsemen of the apocalypse. All part of the prophetic package. But this book, it was written with one purpose and one purpose only. To exalt and to point and to honor the Lord Jesus Christ, to bring to us and to our understanding a fresh revelation of who he is. And so let me very quickly give you just a couple of titles and descriptions that you'll find about Jesus throughout the book of Revelation. I'm going to move quickly through these. In Revelation 1.5, the scripture tells us that Jesus is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead, and ruler over the kings of the earth. Revelation 1.8, he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the Lord Almighty, the one who is, who was, and is to come. Revelation 3.14, he's the ruler of God's creation. In 5.5, he's the Lion of the tribe of Judah, an heir to the throne of David. In 13.8, Jesus is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In Revelation 15.3, he's the king of the nations. 17.14, king of kings and lord of lords. 19.11, he's faithful and true. 19.13, he's the word of God. And finally, in Revelation 22.13, the scripture tells us he's the bright and the morning star. He's all of that. And so just like the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just like the Acts of the Apostles, the Pauline epistles, and every other book in the Old Testament. The last book points to the beauty and the majesty of Jesus and gives us a fresh revelation of who he is. And regardless of where you are on the salvation spectrum or continuum, a fresh revelation of Jesus is what we all need. We all need it in order to hear what it is that he's saying and then to respond favorably to his message. A lot of people know what God is saying. A lot of people today can say, this is what the Spirit is saying, I just sense it. But it's a whole nother thing to respond favorably to it. And that's what Revelation 1.3 says. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and then blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. See, according to the scripture, you're blessed if you read it. A lot of people do. It's as far as they get. But then it just seems like there's another blessing that comes along when you not only read the scripture, you not only read through the book of Revelation, but then you take it to heart and you believe the truth contained in this book. So here in Revelation, at this stage in the game, right around A.D. 90 or 95, somewhere around 60 years after Jesus ascended back into heaven, John, who wrote the book, he's the last surviving member of the original 12 disciples. He's the last one. Remember, Judas died by his own hands. 
after he betrayed Jesus, he couldn't take it, so he went out and committed suicide, and he hung himself. And the rest of the hand-picked disciples of Jesus, along with prominent Christian leaders like John Mark, the gospel writer and the guy who became a, a great evangelist, Paul the Apostle and Stephen and many others, they were all martyred for their faith. John's the only one left. James, the brother of John, was killed by Herod, put to death with the sword. We know that because Acts chapter 12 tells us about that. Peter was crucified by Nero. Thomas was speared to death in India. Andrew, Peter's brother, was crucified in Greece. Matthew was chopped up with an axe. James, the half-brother of Jesus, was beaten to death in Jerusalem. Bartholomew was crucified. John Mark was tied to a horse and dragged to his death. Stephen was stoned. And as you well know, Paul was beheaded in Rome. And so here, as the book of Revelation begins, John was the most influential Christian leader in the world. It's the only one left. And tradition tells us that he was a spiritual father to many. That he was the chief overseer of all churches in Asia Minor, all seven of them. That he mentored the pastors, he appointed the elders, and he spoke to their congregations. And by condemning John as a prisoner to the island of Patmos, Nero and the devil partnered together to silence John and to undermine his spiritual influence. And the devil thought to himself, if I could just shut that guy up, if I could stop his ministry, if I could stop his influence, then quite possibly I could weaken and cripple the Christian church and maybe even destroy it. Now, there's an interesting little passage in Ecclesiastes 1.9. Here's what King Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 1.9. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. For there's nothing new under the sun. How many of you know that we do our best to come up with something new? But there's nothing new. It's all been done before. It's all been thought of before. And since the days of John on the island of Patmos, for over 2,000 years, the devil has partnered with anyone and everyone that he can to stop the gospel message, to undermine the influence of Christian leaders and somehow weaken and cripple the church of Jesus Christ. That's his goal. That's his desire, to stop the gospel, to try to end Christianity. But guess what? It's not going to happen. Did you hear me? Good time to applaud. It's not going to happen. Jesus said it this way. I will build my church. Whose church? Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The optimum word being not. Not persecution, not execution. Certainly not death or disease, not a virus, not a pandemic, not politics. It's not going to happen. The devil is not going to silence the church. The devil is not going to succeed at 
destroying the church because Jesus is still the head of the church. And he's still, all of what I described in the book of Revelation and more, he's still king of kings and lord of lords. He's still on the throne. He's still the bright and morning star. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Jesus already went one-on-one with Satan. And when the serpent coiled and reared his ugly head, Jesus crushed it to pieces. He's king of kings and he's lord of lords. And we need a fresh revelation of who Jesus is. Those of us who've walked with him, those of us who've had relationship with him, those of us who know him, those of us, like Dave said, who can call him a good God, just like John, we need a fresh revelation of Jesus. We need to take a look at who he is and remember what he's all about because sometimes we can lose sight of it. Now, I'd like to share one final passage this morning Then we're going to make our way to the communion table. This passage is found in the verses that we read a little bit earlier. Revelation chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. It was the Lord's day, like today, and I, John, was worshiping in the spirit. I admire this guy. He's exiled on the island of Patmos. We don't know how many other Christians were there, probably none, but he's in church. He's worshiping the Lord. He's in the spirit. He's doing all the things, even though he's abandoned. He felt, must have felt abandoned. He's still worshiping his God. And suddenly he heard behind him a loud voice like a trumpet blast, and it said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches. How many churches? Seven churches. And when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. How many lampstands? Seven. And standing in the middle of the seven, or the the lampstands, was someone like the Son of Man. All right, we've already concluded that this person, someone like the Son of Man, is Jesus. John is talking about Jesus. Now what I want to call your attention to by rereading this passage is what Jesus is doing. I want you to see what Jesus is doing. Revelation 1.13 says Jesus was standing in the middle of the lampstands. And tell me again, how many lampstands were there? Seven lampstands. And the very first thing that John sees is Jesus standing in the middle of these seven lampstands. Now, in the book of Revelation, some of what John writes, some of what he heard, some of what he communicates is up for interpretation. There's a lot of symbolism, a lot of prophecy in Revelation. We don't always know precisely what John is talking about. He's trying to describe what he's seeing. Sometimes we don't understand it. But by the same token, some of the symbolism is completely spelled out. So we can take the guesswork off the table. We don't have to wonder what the Scripture is trying to communicate to us. We know precisely what the Bible is saying. And such is the case with the lampstands. Because a little bit later on in that same passage, in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 20, the scripture tells us this is the meaning of the mystery of the seven gold lampstands. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. We don't have to ask the question, what are the lampstands? Okay, he saw seven lampstands, what are they? The scripture comes right out and tells us the seven lampstands represent the seven churches 
And again, Revelation 1.13, we just read it, tells us when John saw Jesus in all of his glory, where was Jesus standing? In the middle of the lampstands. John has this revelation of Jesus in all of his glory, causes him to fall on his face as though dead. And in this vision, he sees Jesus standing in the middle of the seven lampstands that represent the seven churches. And so if Jesus were here this morning, if he was the one communicating this first message of this series to you, remember, that's what we're after here. We want to know what Jesus would say. In his very first letter to us, I think the number one communication that Jesus would articulate to us, the number one message that he would say to us is, I am with you. I'm with you. In fact, not only am I with you, I'm standing in your midst and I plan to be with you each and every step of the way. I know what you're going through. I know what's happening in the world. This is still my church and I am with you. And friends, this is real, simply an affirmation of what Jesus said to his disciples right before he left planet Earth to go back to his throne in heaven. Remember in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, what? I am with you always. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In no uncertain terms, I think the very first communication that Jesus would say to us, the very first message he would give to us is, I am with you. I am with you. My presence is with you. My glory is with you. And the reason why Jesus would make such a big deal about that, the reason why he would want us to hear that, is because there's so many good intending Christian leaders today who are trying to guilt people and scare people into repentance. And these leaders, what they're saying, these Christian leaders, and again, they, they mean well, they're saying that if we don't walk away from our sins, if we don't clean up our act, then God is going to turn his back on us and bail on the church the same way that God bailed on the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. They really don't know that God didn't bail on them at all. But they think that. And the so-called prophets are warning. The word has gone out. If we don't lose the sin, if we don't turn to God, if we don't make amends, then God is going to remove his mercy and grace from the church and we are no longer going to be recipients of his blessing and his divine protection. And friends, to be sure, the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to us today. And it is a critical time for us to hear. And we do need to take a step toward God. And we do need to repent of our sins and pursue the living God with everything that we have. And I am fully prepared in 2022 to lead our church to a brand new place of obedience in God. In fact, that's why we've 
themed the, the beginning prayer and fasting time as full surrender to God. And I feel in my heart that our church is there. We want to go to that next level. But I don't agree with the naysayers. Those that are preaching gloom and doom. And the reason I don't is because the scripture tells me Jesus died for the church. He gave his life for the church. Yes, he went to the cross for all humanity, but his heart's cry is for his bride. He loves his church. We learn that in the book of Ephesians. Chapter 5, verses 25, 26, and 27. Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he, Jesus, might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she, the church, the bride, should be holy and without blemish. Jesus absolutely loves his church. He's fond of all local church assemblies, and he accepts community Christian church with all of our flaws and imperfections. He is not going to walk out on us. He's not going to divorce us or break covenant with us. He is fully committed to his church to raise her up and see the church of Jesus Christ without spot or without wrinkle. And so again, if Jesus were here this morning, if he was giving this lesson, if he was talking to us, I think the very first thing he would say is, I'm with you. Don't be afraid, I'm with you. I'm walking among you. I'm going to be with you each and every step of the way. Because just like 2,000 years ago, the vision I get of Jesus, walking among the candlesticks. He's walking among the church. Let's bow our heads and prepare for communion. Fathers, we begin this new year as we look to you in January of 2022. We're asking that you would open our hearts and that we would put ourselves in position to hear what it is that you're saying to us. It is our desire, Lord, to see you moving among us. It's our desire to be recipients of all that you've promised to us. And Lord, we know that you have good things in store for your church. I pray that you would open our eyes to see you as you really are. I, I, I pray, Lord, that there would be fresh revelation of Jesus for every person in this place. And like John, it would do something inside of us. It would change us for all eternity. Lord, this is the year. This is the time. This is the season. In fact, you said it's high time. It's past time. Lord, we don't want just another slice of the past. We want this to be a new day for the people of God especially here at our church. And so we pray, Lord, in these closing moments and during our communion time, you would minister as only you can.
As I stand here this morning, I'm keenly aware of the Lord's presence. I trust you are as well. And I believe that one of the main reasons why his presence is so real and tangible among us is because his posture has not changed. He's still standing among the churches. His glory is still with us. God has not mad at us. He hasn't removed his spirit from us. He's not angry with the church. He's always drawing us to himself. He's always encouraging us to come closer. But the scripture is very clear. He will never leave us or forsake us. He's concerned about the things that concern us. He cares about what we go through. And he promises to never leave us. And right about now, that might seem foreign to some of you. Maybe for you, over the last year too, especially in 2021, you felt more like John, exiled on your own island, abandoned, discarded, alone. It's hard for you to even think that there's a God who knows what you've been through, the pain that you've experienced, the struggles that you have found yourself in. Maybe for some of you others here, or those of you who are listening or watching, you enter into 2022 with a lot of promise, a lot of hope. Maybe you're graduating from college this year. Maybe you just landed a new job, bought a new house. Maybe you got engaged over the holidays and you're getting married in 2022 and you're excited. Friend, it doesn't matter where we're at in God, whether we have been Christians forever, newly saved, or not even believers yet. What we need more than anything else, the only thing that God can provide for us, what we need from him is a fresh revelation of Jesus. Not our revelation. Not our own thoughts and ideas and opinions. We need to receive from God and we need to receive from him. And that's been our prayer over the last three months. As the elders have gathered together, as the staff has prayed for this coming new year, we have asked the Lord to give each and every one of us a fresh revelation of himself. That's what I'm praying for you. may not happen today, but I'm hoping it happens in the very near future. So it was Paul the Apostle who was beheaded for his faith, who said, I received from the Lord what I passed along to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, just bread. And after giving thanks, he broke the bread. He passed it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is for you. You know, in the scripture, bread is symbolic of provision. And we know God to be Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And during the prayer that Jesus gave to us, he said, emulate this prayer when you pray. Say this, give us this day our daily bread. Can you say that with me this morning? Lord, give me this day my daily bread. Whatever it is that you need from the Lord today, it's available because of this covenant meal. So why don't you go ahead and take the bread this morning.
And then when supper had ended, Jesus took the cup. Again, he gave thanks. He passed the cup to his disciples. He said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare the Lord's death till he comes. Jesus said, when you gather around the communion table and you receive the bread and the cup, I want you to think about my death. And there's a lot of aspects and elements to the death of Jesus, but one very important element was his total surrender to God, his full obedience. He went to the cross. He said, Lord, I I wish there was another way, but not my will, your will be done. In fact, his act of obedience, his act of submission and surrender may be the greatest act of surrender we'll find anywhere. And that's what he's calling us to. And if you've already surrendered your life to him, it's a re-surrender. It's a coming back to the cross. It's a coming back and reviewing what God has done for us. And if you just sense that God's stirring in your heart. If, you, if, you, if during the time that I was talking, it wasn't so much what I was saying, but the Holy Spirit was just speaking to your heart and you're at that place where you want to know God and you want to see him, can I just get you to stand to your feet? This is not going to be everyone, but if that's you, if you feel it, if you feel like you're ready to go to the next level, you're tired of the past, and maybe you had a good past, but you want to go. If you're, if you're at home, if you're watching, could you just type in the chat, I'm standing, I'm surrendering my life to God. This is where I want to go. I want to go to full surrender. Father, we thank you. We thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you for the, always having our best interests in mind. You want to bless your people. With blessing upon blessing, you want to answer our prayers. You want to hear our needs. You've asked us to make our requests known to you. You said we could talk to you this way. But Lord, during this communion, these, these last few moments of this communion, we just want you to know we're in too. We're all in. We want to do our part in the covenant. And we're surrendering our hearts to you one more time. And I pray, Lord God, for a fresh revelation for the people of God. Amen. Let's take the cup together.